This week on TechNATO, we'll be talking about a new version of Kali Linux, an update on the Samsung Galaxy Fold debacle, and we'll be finding out why we can't have nice things, how Jeremy Renner's app was taken over by trolls. That's all coming up on TechNATO, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, I'm joined, as always, by Don Pizzette. Don, how you doing? Hey, I am doing great. Uh, and welcome back after last week's strange episode where uh, we, we had no studios. Yeah, there was a there was a hurricane. Uh, I was I was out of town or I, I was uh, at home. I had, I had my LASIK surgery. Uh, so I'm honestly not sure if that is Don or Justin uh, over there. Uh, for our recovery. listeners, they don't care. But for our viewing yeah. audience, you know, it is uh, the me. same. All different with laser eyes and <laughs> magic. laser eyes yeah that's what I'm what I'm calling them um, but we don't have Justin here today um, he's was filming some content uh, today for IT Pro TV so we said we got to get the news out the people still need the news we have to and so here we are it's to our do duty that. yeah um, to shake that booty and so <laughs> next uh, next week then we'll we'll come back with some uh, some interviews and, and fun stuff there but uh, today we do want to catch you up in the news because a lot has happened uh, in this last week um, so let's get right to it uh, our first article t- uh, today comes from ZDNet uh, NPM bans terminal ads JavaScript community's negative reaction to recent experiment kills potential avenue for funding open source projects I love when people get so angry that uh, that their free things have ads on them. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of impressive. And, and this was interesting for me because I, I didn't even know this was happening. That uh, NPM, if you're not familiar with it, that's the package manager that most people use with Node.js, the popular development environment. Uh, it's actually not so much a development environment as an execution environment, but either way, uh, Node.js lets people create web apps really fast, roll them out, and do magical you know, web 3.0 kind of stuff. Uh, So it's pretty widespread out there, all based around JavaScript. And when you pull down packages, it's entirely terminal-driven because, you know, this is all designed to run on a web server that has no GUI anyway. That's pretty cool. A lot of the packages are absolutely free, like Peter mentioned, and they did a little experiment where one vendor, and they actually have a picture of it on the ZDNet.com website, uh, one uh, project called LogRocket, just did a very simple advertisement. And by advertisement, I mean it was a gray box with some text inside it, and it just said, stop guessing why bugs happen. Log Rocket lets you, it's kind of hard to say, mm. Log Rocket lets you replay what users do on your web app or website, helping you reproduce bugs and fix issues faster. And then it gave a link over to the Log Rocket website, a link which doesn't work because it's a text-based terminal. You know, so you can't click on it. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but it's blue and underlined. Yeah. So know, I would it, click on that. It looks good. It looks good. Well, I, I guess maybe you, if your terminal client converted that into a clickable link, then it would work. But for mm-hmm. most people, it wouldn't. Either way, it was just something to try out. And the community went nuts. How dare you stick an advertisement in our free stuff, which is exactly what every single website, including the websites advertising this news, do to generate the revenue oh, yeah. on a daily basis. I, and I'm mad about that. Yeah. How dare they put it? Well, not ads for you because you're running an ad running blocker. An ad blocker. <laughs> well, you know, they still find creative ways to get around that. Uh, and, you know, good point. You wouldn't be able to get around this type of ad because mm-hmm. it's part of the package you're downloading. And, uh, you know, they gave it a shot. The community went nuts. They've now banned it. Uh, the official NPM repository managers have said, that's it. No more full-blown ads in your package managers or in your uh, packages that you install. So that's it. End of the experiment and no chance of generating revenue through yeah. ads that way. But we're now charging a fee of $100 <laughs> per month per packet. 
That would be interesting. Now, uh, some people are complaining now, saying, wait a minute, you're restricting what we're allowed to put in our own packages? That doesn't seem fair. And so the NPM community, once again, has found itself in a lose-lose situation. Oh, so the community as a whole banned the ads. So even if I had my own... Um system that I'd set up, I could not put an ad in Oh, it. no, you still could. Yeah. Okay. If you built up your own repository okay. and pushed out packages directly that way, most people don't. They just rely on NPM because it connects to the main stuff. You know, that, that's gotcha. kind of where people expect to go. But there is the NPM Incorporated. That's the actual company that, that manages it. And they're the ones who banned it from the main repo. So it, it's like saying, oh, my car is not street legal. I'll just go drive on the dirt roads instead. You can do that, but the dirt roads suck. Well, I hope, uh, <laughs> hope they are incorporated as a not-for-profit. I imagine they're not. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Do they make money? I don't know. Doesn't sound like it. Now I'm curious. Well, yeah. Based on <laughs> they're this. saying no advertisements. Because well, when, when people get mad about it, they just go, yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, Facebook says, oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I assumed they were not-profit, but since they're incorporated... I guess you can still be incorporated and be, be like a 503C or yeah, something, right? Yeah, you can right? file okay. as a... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the different states and countries and things, but well, interesting. Before this becomes a business podcast, let's... Yeah, uh... <laughs> no one don't want that. We don't know what we're talking about relating to business. Uh, let's move over now to Tom's hardware for our next article. Fujifilm won't let tape storage die. New LTO 8 cartridges with uh, 12 terabytes or 30 terabytes capacity, 750 megabytes bytes per second transfer rate okay i did that one right um i I feel like a lot of people still use tape for backup right at at, you know at at bigger institutions or governments or things like that they've been doing it for years and years well so they've been saying that tape is dead for many many years right and and you do certainly see less of it uh small businesses home users absolutely is completely gone from them uh even mid-sized businesses have moved away from it because it's so easy to back up to the cloud to use dropbox OneDrive, uh amazon s3 or, or whatever all these different solutions um Backblaze, we'll turn this into like the world's largest backup commercial right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these different technologies that make it where you don't have to, to sub out media, right? But the reality is that it you lose control of where that data is being stored when it gets sent off-site digitally like that. And a lot of people are learning a tough, tough lesson right now when they get hit by ransomware and they realize, oh, my hard drive-based backup, like uh, Apple's Time Machine, it's online, and so the ransomware is able to encrypt that data even though you you know, you know have a backup. The backup's now encrypted, and you can't recover from it, and people are really losing out in a big, big way. Now, tape, like Peter said, it's, it's still really prevalent in major data centers, and that's because they know they've got to be able to back up a large quantity of stuff. They've got to do it cheaply, and they have to be able to take it off-site if possible, right? Tape lets you do all three of those things. The big problems with tape, there's two main problems with tape. One is it's slow. Right. So it, it's, it takes a long time to write data to it and it takes a long time to read data from it. That's one problem. And so they're, they're telling you here, you know, it's 750 megabytes per second. That's pretty good. Right. That, that's a pretty decent chunk of data that you can write to it. It's still not as fast as writing at like six gigabytes to a to a SSD or, or something like that. But it's good enough for a backup in most scenarios. The other thing that's bad about it is that it's magnetic and it's tension-based. So there's a lot of physical things that can cause damage to tape. If it gets near magnets, that's a problem. If it gets dropped and it loses tension, that's a problem. They wear out over time, that's a problem. So that's why tape is less popular. People want to move to hard drive-based backups instead. 
but hard drive-based backups stay online, and they leave you susceptible to things like ransomware. So people are having to try and balance. The newest tapes, these LTO, LTO8 cartridges, can store up to 12 terabytes uncompressed. That's a lot. Up to 30 terabytes compressed, which if you've ever worked with these tapes, you know is a total BS number, so they can hold 12 terabytes. <laughs> well, I know, too, from my childhood that if they do lose compression, you can just uh, stick a pencil in one side, and you can you can wind it right back up, and, and you're good to go. Yeah, that, that doesn't work with LTO. It's not the no, same? Oh, no. okay. <laughs> but you can, you can try. <laughs> and you can take them apart and try and retention them that way. I've tried. I've never really? successfully had a tape work after doing that. What if there's like a machine for that, a retensioner or something that... It gets it back to the right uh, right tension, but yeah, you're physically you physically have something offsite that's not connected to anything that's air gapped. So uh, you, you know that seems seems a lot safer. Got me thinking. What where where does uh, you know we we uh, back up to the cloud? Where's the cloud backup? Just to their other data centers? Usually, yes. Do, do yeah. you ever see like does AWS have you know have some space on Azure where they're backing? Well, Backing their stuff up. So they don't. Or they do they have tapes? And well, If you ever read the, the terms of use or, or whatever that, that is defined in your contract with Amazon, they actually tell you that they'll provide redundancy within their environment. Mm-hmm. But if their entire environment goes out, at the end of the day, your data is your responsibility. Okay. So because you should still be backing up your data. Right. And you know, basically what they're saying is, look, if we go out of business tomorrow... You can't sue us for your data. Your data is just gone at that point. Your contract is over. Your data is gone. So they, yeah, they they just replicate inside. Now, they do sometimes back up to tape at Amazon, or they have offline hard drives. And that's why, uh, I don't know if you've ever messed with um, Glacier. Mm-mm. Glacier S3 storage is the really slow storage, where when you want to restore a file from it, you file a request, and it can take up to five hours to retrieve that request. And the reason is you're waiting in line for either a tape robot or a hard drive to sub out or whatever to be able to get at that data. So they are taking things offline, but it's not being sent to Azure or somewhere else. It's just another Amazon data center, which is honestly good enough for most people. Yeah. I heard the glacier speeding up, though. Yeah. Well, I would like to think that we're doing everything we can to defeat the glaciers. (laughs) (laughs) And that is why I drive a diesel with no muffler. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, all right, uh, let's head over to Cali.org now for our next uh, story here, uh, and it is about Cali Linux. Uh, who would have thought? Uh, Cali Linux 2019.3 uh, release is out, and um, well, we should have had Daniel on this podcast. I know he's I know, the one I... that, uh, that that uses Cali here in the office most, but um, what what's new in this that we should be excited about? You know, I, I really wanted to have Daniel on here, too, because he had some really creative comments about this one, but our, our studio was under construction last week. That's why we had to do the uh, the weird podcast last time, uh, and so we— They're all weird. Well, it was weirder than normal, Okay, which actually, you know, we should have our new improved audio this time around. I'm curious to see how that sounds. Yeah, and those of you watching on the video side, have you seen all the little little transitions happening? Very fancy. They, they shocked me for for a moment there, but it's exciting. I'm it's trying. almost like professionals are doing this, which yeah. are all the people back there, not <laughs> us. And wipe to done. But uh, Daniel has ah, actually been complaining. <laughs> I shouldn't say complaining, but uh, he's been a little vociferous about uh, the state of Cali Linux this year and how the 2019 releases are, I believe he said, garbage. <laughs> and so bad that he's actually been building his own... Uh, pen testing OS platform for him to use. He just said he can't can't stand it. Well, they've released the third update this year, which is the 2019.3 update. Three doesn't correspond with March. Just this is the third one. And if you look at the the features inside of it, there's not a whole heck of a lot in there. They moved some of their platform uh, as far as updates and so on over to Cloudflare. So they're starting to integrate with that a little bit. 
they have also introduced a few other updates and packages. So Metasploit has seen an update. And, and these are all things that you could have updated on your own, but are now part of that base OS, which is kind of nice. The, uh, the big thing is, let me find it here on the page, is that they've introduced a, well, there's the new boot logo, which wow. if you care about boot logos, but that they introduced an LXD container. There it is. Uh, so the official Kali Linux LXD container image. So if you are an LXD user, so you know, the uh, Linux containers, uh, I think it actually stands for the Linux domain, Linux something, anyhow. Um, but it's basically their alternative to Docker that if you're using that, you can now throw Kali Linux into an LXD container and have it up and going in a couple of heartbeats, which is pretty nice. So that's a, a big update coming out from them. Everything else is mostly just patches and fixes because if Daniel is to believe, the rest of it is unstable garbage. And so hopefully it's a little bit more stable now than before. Yeah, well, now I'm just curious when Daniel Linux is coming out. And is he basing it off of a, an earlier Kali release? All I know is that whenever it comes out, I'm going to give it a scathing review. Oh, sure. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait to see when that comes out. Uh, all right, our next article is uh, from Forbes, who, uh, Don, you, you noticed Forbes has a uh, maybe a new a new writer just a, a <laughs> said, "Hey, theory. we're we're getting into tech more because uh, we've got uh, we've seen Forbes a lot more recently in some really dramatic headlines." So let's see how this one is. Um, Dell has a new dedicated site for Ubuntu and RHEL certified Linux desktops and laptops. That's not really sensational. No, it? no, it's not. It's actually a pretty reasonable one. So I don't know. Uh, uh, my compliments to Jason Avangelo. Oh, sure. However you would say his last name. Uh, either way, Dell uh, about. Five or six years ago, decided they were going to step into the Linux laptop space. And they already had some basic support for Linux on some of their laptops, but nothing truly official. And then they released the XPS 13 Developer Edition. And it shipped with Ubuntu Linux. If you chose it, you could go Windows if you wanted, but uh, Ubuntu Linux. And they fully supported it. That means drivers, that means tech support, and everything. And a lot of developers looked at that as a great option for them. If you wanted to run Docker and all these other platforms and, and development environments, the IDEs and so on, that worked in a Linux or Unix environment, you could do that versus where a lot of them were going over to Macs because macOS had at least the, the Unix terminal behind the scene. Well, now you had official support from Dell and they've expanded that out. And that's kind of the big deal is it's not just Ubuntu anymore. They do have officially... RHEL or Red Hat Enterprise Linux certified Linux desktops and laptops now. Uh, so they've updated all of their pages, which you can check out if you're ever bored, dell.com slash Linux. And this is not a paid commercial for Dell. I actually have a Lenovo, which runs uh, Red Hat just fine, as well as several other operating systems. So, uh, you know, you can kind of pick and choose where you want to go there. But it is neat to see another uh, vendor officially supporting that. And to me, if you're a company like uh, System76, this has really got to kind of put the squeeze on you because System76 is a lot like Apple where the devices are priced really, really high for what you get. On the Dell side, they're priced pretty reasonable because of their volume and you get official support for your Linux operating system. So anyhow, check it out, uh, dell.com slash Linux. What's interesting too at the bar bottom of this article is uh, they pointed out a bug that, that's since been corrected, um, so they've, they've struck it out. But uh, apparently when this first launched on Dell's site, um, you could only choose Windows 10 as the uh, as the operating system on there, I guess they're so used to selling that stuff. Um, <laughs> so uh, you you were not able to pick Ubuntu or anything like that, but now you can. So um, yeah, if you're interested in that, or I'm I'm gonna wait till to see what Daniel's Linux looks like um, before I you know 
configure machine. Maybe maybe there'll be Dell certified uh, Daniel Linux machines. I yeah, I can only imagine. Well, not with not with your review. <laughs> right. uh, all right, uh, now we're going to head over to the Mac world uh, over on 9to5mac.com. USB 4 development complete. Here's what it means for Mac users. Does that mean anything for me because I have USB-C, but that and it is, does it still go like? So if, if I had to boil it down to just a couple of sentences, like Peter, how has your USB-C experience been? Um, dongly, dongly, right? And and That's a word. Has, has every dongle worked? No, not at all. I, I just switched uh, uh, dock solutions today. Yeah, a lot of a lot of guesswork, a lot of dongles that should mm-hmm. work that don't, especially when you're going USB-C to HDMI. Lord only knows what's going to happen, right? A lot of problems. Well, USB 4 is supposed to fix all that. Now, if you have USB 3, 3.1, or 3.2, guess what? doesn't help you. Not one single bit. Sorry, guys. Perfect. But just know that the future is clear. That, <laughs> that towards the end of 2020, we're going to start seeing USB 4. And this is a Mac website, uh, 9to5Mac. But this applies to Windows and Linux users as well. Because the problem is all across the board, right? USB-C is not as much a protocol as it is a form factor, right? Mm -hmm. So that port is a certain form factor. And then what's driving that port can be wildly different, right? It might be a USB 3.1 or USB 3.2 port that's capable of handling up to 20 gigabits per second of data. It might have uh, uh, alternate mode to be able to support HDMI out. It might be able to support two video channels at 4K each, right? It might, or it might not. You just don't know. When you look at a USB-C port, it could just be a power, and that's it. It could do nothing else. Uh, there's plenty of, of laptops that are out there that have that, which is super annoying. You just don't know. USB-C creates this huge area of mystery. So in USB 4, they're looking to fix that. They're trying to unify everything so that when you see a USB 4 port, that it will support all of those various things. Now, let me tell you where this goes wrong, because there's always something that goes wrong here. A USB 4 port is going to look just like a USB-C port. Right. USB-C is that form factor. And so it'll look the same. Now you'll have to figure out, is it a USB 4 port or not? But the feature that I'm most looking forward to is it'll actually have support for splitters, right? That with USB-C, nobody sells a USB-C splitter because it's not officially supported, right? You can get a USB-C hub where you plug in a USB-C port and then you've got four USB-A ports, right? You find those all over the place, right? I think I got two of them on my desk. But you can't find a a USB-C hub where you plug it in USB-C and then you get four USB-C ports or even two USB-C ports for that matter. doesn't happen, right? And if you want that, maybe it's pass-through where you go in one port and out the other. That's not giving you two. You can't increase the amount of USB-C ports on your system. With USB 4, they're overcoming that hurdle. Now, it's yet to be seen exactly how they're overcoming that. I mean, it's supposed to be all written up, but I have yet to find technical documentation that explains it, but that is one of the things they say they've achieved. Uh, So that's a a cool thing to hear. The other thing is 40 gigabit uh, per second of bandwidth, which puts it in line with Thunderbolt 3, which is what you'll find on your Macs these days, which use a USB-C port for Thunderbolt 3. Now you'll be able to use a USB-C port for USB 4, which gets you the same speed. So if that sounds confusing, it's because it is, and that's the state of having a unified connector on laptops. Yeah, I've got, you know, what, four USB-C ports on here, and, and I just got this this new dock today, and I'm thinking, so I'm running my, my Ethernet into here, I'm running uh, the HDMI out of here, and I've got, I think, four um, USB-A 
um, ports on there. That's all just running into one, you know. So, uh, you know, is that just going to catch fire with all that stuff going through there? Because no. I feel, I've got all these other ports, and like <laughs> I could use a little bit of that if I had anything that would actually plug into them. Well, so in in your scenario, your your dock your dock is powered, right? Or no, it's no, not, it's got it's not even one. powered. Yeah. yeah, it's passive. Okay, so um, it's very passive. On, on one that's powered, like mine on the desk over here is powered, so. There's not really a whole lot of high voltage, just a lot of data going mm-hmm. across. And 40 gigabit is a lot of data. You know, you mentioned your network. Our, our network here is a gigabit network, so that's just one. You still have 39 gigabit okay. left over. And so then you throw some video on that. You throw a few other things. You still have plenty of room. So I should be fine. Yeah. Because I started typing this morning on my Logitech keyboard. I had the little dongle on the on the dongle. Um, <laughs> that made sense. Uh, and, you know, I, I look up, and it's like, it's like 10, 15 characters behind where I'm typing. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I should I should reboot. I'm gonna yeah, do that. That should yeah. fix everything. Well, you know, you can you can bump into various things, various problems when you when you have a number of different things running on the same bus. But keyboards are pretty low low weight, so you wouldn't think it would happen there. Apparently, pretty low priority. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's head over to the mobile world now. We're gonna uh, take a look at an article from CNET. Samsung cancels original Galaxy Fold pre-orders, but offers a $250 credit. Samsung's revamped Galaxy Fold is scheduled to go on sale this month. But I did read something else too that said it's not scheduled to go on sale in the in the United States. So it's, <laughs> it's going to South Korea first, and and we'll see if it makes it here. But I mean, this has just been a, a comedy of errors between the the user reviews. I know that that some of the uh, uh, reviewers got got the the pre copies of it and, and destroyed just, them. Yeah, just messed them up pretty quick. So I, I'd be surprised if uh, if if this worked out well for them. Yeah, you know, Samsung made news by launching the first massively commercially available foldable phone, which it never actually was. Uh, it was also the first. Massively available two thousand dollar phone, uh, you know, so an all new high price point and a uh, a crazy form factor. When the review units went out, they were pretty quickly destroyed because of bad screen design. Samsung said they were going to bring that back in house, retool it, redesign it, and last week they announced the new design is done. They've solved all the problems. And if you ever saw any of the articles on how they solved it, it does not look any more effective. But anyhow, they they do say they solved it. Now, instead of saying, okay, we're just going to ship this one out to everybody who ordered, they've canceled all of the pre-orders, and they've offered anybody who pre-ordered a $250 credit on the new model. Now, what that tells me is there weren't many pre-orders, right? Because otherwise, you'd want to convert those customers. You'd want to keep them. This is not how you keep them. So uh, so that that means there just weren't a lot of pre-orders. And they're also scaling it back to just Korea, where they have a much more... um, uh, early adopter kind of culture that they mm-hmm. uh, especially Samsung based, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just in South Korea in general, their, oh, their yeah. internet is significantly better than ours, and they, you know, the, the general population loves technology and loves taking that risk on new things. So they're kind of shrinking it to that market, which either one means there just wasn't a lot of demand, or two means they're not sure they fixed the problem and they'd rather try it out on their home team where people are going to be a little more willing to work with them on the problems and overcome it. So we'll see where that goes. But the the big message out of this is foldable phones are not ready. And we don't normally talk about phones on this podcast, but I wanted to mention it here because there are rumors that Apple is going to be launching a foldable phone next year. Would, that, would that be this week? 
because we have an Apple announcement this week. Boy, by the time you've heard this, you might already know the answer to this the, question. The press is all over the place on this one, right? Because they are announcing new phones. Many people are saying that the 2019 iPhones are going to be basically the 2018 ones. Now, I'd, I'd be surprised if that was the case because the 2018 ones were the 2017 ones. Right? Yeah, they, that's kind of the S cycle. I have an iPhone 10, and you have an iPhone 10. I do. Right? I've actually taped two together now because it was. Uh, same price as the Galaxy Fold oh, here, there you go. Uh, and I can I can fold them open. It's perfect. See, <laughs> yeah, and I have the family plan, so I can add a but line. Did you? You haven't destroyed your screen yet. No, no. neither it's, one of them is coming. But uh, so I have the iPhone 10, and then the 10s came out. And, no, but the X and or the the 10R. Well, the 10R was the cheap one, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so the the 10s was what Apple wanted me to upgrade right. to, and the 10s just didn't it didn't add anything that I cared about. No. Right? I mean, it really wasn't anything to it. It didn't even add like a USB-C port to match the yeah. iPad. I feel like they always just add like a megapixel to the camera. So this year, yeah, which <laughs> another again, one. I yeah. can't tell the difference. Woo-hoo. I mean, yeah. I'd get LASIK like some sure. people around, yeah, I so can, maybe I, I could. Sure, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I can see the difference. I can see <laughs> you know all like, oh, of the pixels in the retina display. It's so terrible. Yeah. How can I use this old phone? So this year is going to be the, well, we don't know the name. Maybe it's going to be the iPhone 11. Maybe it's, so. it's not. Uh, we'll have to see. But... If they stay the same, that would be three years in a row of the same phone. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like they have to release something new. But all the rumors are saying 2020, next year, they're going to do a big release, all new stuff, possibly folded phone, all new form factor, all this crazy. So I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes. Uh, I am an iPhone user. I am on a phone that is about to hit two well, years you old. say you're an iPhone user. You, you, you flip about every two years, and, and then you go to the Pixel for about 15 minutes. Yeah. And then you come back, and then you go to the Pixel again, the Pixel 2, for like 20 minutes. You know, I did skip the Pixel 3, though. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Pixel 3 yeah, is out, Yeah, fool right? me once. <laughs> Shame on me. <laughs> my Pixel 1 lasted like six weeks. Uh-huh. My Pixel 2, I think I only gave that one or two weeks. Which one came to you refurbished? Oh, the Pixel 2. The Pixel yeah. 2. Yep, I had to send it back to get a new one. Right off the bat. Which you awesome. should have gotten when you ordered a new one. Yeah, Pixel phones. I, I mean, I, I love Android, but the Pixel phones, not not good. Well, I have my fingers crossed that uh, that we will hear this week about the uh, the new USB-C iPhone. Very excited. Th- that announcement's going on right now? I think it's tomorrow. Tomorrow, okay. Yeah. Right. Tomorrow for us. Could be today for you. Could have been yesterday. Dun, dun, dun. September 10th? September I 10th. Yet. I think it's September 10th. We're going to go with that. <laughs> you heard it here. We are reporting the news. <laughs> and if they if they do it a different day, that's on them. That's yeah. on them. That's yeah, I mean, if they can't schedule. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's head over to Bleeping Computer now for our next article. Back to school? Be careful of malware hiding as textbooks. So I assume in this case we're talking about um, digital textbooks. Yes. And things that you would be downloading for your tablet or uh, or your laptop. But uh, maybe is it is it kids that are out there saying, hey, this this uh, textbooks cheaper than the super expensive one. I uh, my professor said I have to buy, so well, I'll try this. Know, Peter, you and I are roughly the same age. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both went to the University of Florida. We did, right? And so you you probably had the same experience I did. Although I took some law courses, so my books might have been more expensive. Um, that that's not a brag. Sorry, no, yeah, <laughs> humble brag. Didn't take it that way. That, I, did, uh, I didn't open many of my books. You, you know, you'd, you'd go to class the first day, or maybe you're an overachiever and went to that pre class no, thing. I did not, and they would give you your book list. 
And then you would go to the official university bookstore and a see physical that each, bookstore. Yeah. yeah, that each book cost over a hundred dollars. And in my case, I had like my constitutional law book was two hundred some odd dollars. And then you know you would say, well, I can't afford that. And so then you would go and try and find the book anywhere else you could, used bookstores, friends, dead people, wherever you could find mm-hmm. it, because your professor didn't care where the book came from as long as you had the right book. Well. We've seen this drive to digital books, and a lot of people have complained because the other thing was at the end of the semester, you would then immediately take those books and sell them for whatever you could get out of them. Pennies. Right? And pennies, pennies on the dollar. Yeah, maybe you get a six-pack of beer, but it's a yeah. six-pack you didn't have yesterday. That's true. Well, with digital books, one, they were supposed to become cheaper. They didn't. They stayed the same price as the paper books. And two, you couldn't sell them back at the end of the semester. They were just gone, and that was that. And three, you couldn't buy them used. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. You can't buy a used no digital, used digital copy. So many students have taken the approach of you know, recognizing the professor still doesn't care where you get the book from and saying, well, surely I can go and bootleg this, right? We can go to a Wares site or BitTorrent or you know, whatever peer-to-peer network you use these days and find these books. Well, security researchers have been studying this, and they have found hundreds of thousands of instances of what appear to be textbooks posted online, except are instead either the books packaged with malware or just straight up malware in the first place. So uh, kind of a little uh, booby trap or Trojan horse there for people out there trying to find free books. I appreciate that it's not ransomware because they know these people already don't have money. They're well, trying true. to bootleg, <laughs> bootleg their textbooks. Like, what are you going to get from these kids for uh, for a ransom? But you you mentioned several times the professor doesn't care where I got my book. Uh, well, in my case, I, I remember uh, one particular uh, class that, that really irritated me. And uh, unsurprisingly, it was the uh, economics professor at UF. Um, and he wrote the book. Ooh. And each semester, you had edition four, edition five, edition six. And uh, so I think... I'm guessing he had a deal with the local bookstores because the physical stores at the time that they wouldn't buy back his books because they say, oh, well, it's going to be edition six next year. So, you know, we have no use for edition five. So every year, brand new book and, you know, you barely crack the spine on it, on it half the time and you're paying him, you know, he's he's getting, you know, royalties for all those books. You know, I had uh, I had one professor that did that uh, and the I can't remember what the class was. It was like... Um might have been comparative politics or something. Anyhow, uh, this this one professor, and he wrote the book. And so what he did is he photocopied the pages he wanted us to read, and he gave us the photocopies. He oh. he said he didn't want us to buy his book because he was worried about a uh, conflict of interest. Well, why did you write a book then? I, that seems well, like a lot of time. Other schools, other schools could use the book, the book. but oh, okay, for us, course, he course. didn't want us to buy it. So it was, it was kind of the opposite of what yeah. your professor did. Yeah, <laughs> that was not economics. That was an ethics class that you took <laughs> compared to my supply and demand uh, professor. You know, I did take an ethics course. No book. Which I go. thought was odd, but That's, I guess in ethics, you don't want to put things down on paper. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, the moral of the story is, kids, be careful um, when you're downloading that. Use, um, I don't know, use the same amount of caution you use when you download the latest Game of Thrones episode. Only download stolen software from people you trust. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, could you just have the—I think kids would just sell each other their tablet from last semester. It's got the books already on there. It's probably cheaper. 
Well, you know, you'd have to find someone with the same schedule. So a lot of people have figured this out the right way. And uh, a great example was there was a there was a company here in town. I've already forgotten their name. Shoot, uh, but they they released like study guides and stuff to help people with their courses. And what they did is smoking notes uh, like them, tutoring but it was a different tu- tutoring zone. zone. That's it, yeah. tutoring zone, where they said, okay, when you log into our site, you have to log in with your Facebook account. And the reason they did that is they said nobody wants to share their yeah, Facebook account. What's the one account. thing you won't share yep. with anybody? And yeah. I was like, well, that's smart. Uh, anyway. uh, all right, let's head over now to, uh, or head back to ZDNet because we've been to ZDNet already. Uh, over 47,000 super micro servers are exposing BMC ports on the internet. Researchers discovered a new remote attack vector on super micro servers that are exposing their BMC port over the internet, and patches are available. So, uh, this seems to be one of those. Hey, there's a big horrible thing happening, but uh, but we've already fixed it. So if you if you're running a super microserver, head over and patch it now. Right. So we actually reported on the flaws that are noted here um, several months ago. Right. It was earlier in the year, probably around March, that there were some bugs in the super micro BMC, the the management controller that is used for remote access. So even even if your server is powered off, you can still remotely connect to it and turn it on. We have a couple of them here in our own server room that we use. Well, now everybody my, knows. I know. Well, my, my Cisco lab actually is run off of one of the boxes back there that is is a super micro system. And I, I love the fact that I can pull it up even when it's turned off and powered on, yeah. You know, reinstall the operating system, do all that. Really cool. Well, there were some known flaws, right? Some some big vulnerabilities where an attacker could gain access to your hardware, which is really bad, and then they can do pretty much whatever they want, including flash BIOS onto the system. That's bad. Well, updates were released. I applied the updates. You know, it was nice to, to be done, and then you don't have to worry about it. Well, what is really shocking about this article is they're not really saying that these machines are necessarily vulnerable. What they're saying is they were able to find... 47,000 servers on the internet today that not only had the Supermicro BMC turned on, but had it open to the internet. In other words, anyone on the internet could connect in and get to the login screen for the BMC. And they could then attempt to brute force a password or try and get in or exploit the BMC if there was like a login screen exploit, and they'd be able to gain access to that machine, right? That is like a super big mega no-no. Your management network, the network these BMCs are supposed to be plugged into, is supposed to be an out-of-band network. It's certainly not supposed to be exposed to the internet. At a minimum, you should have to be able to like VPN in to gain access to it. But these are just exposed to the internet. So if, like, if we knew one of those servers right now, we should be able to type in its IP address in our address bar with the correct port, and we would see the login screen. But the fact that, that so many people had that, does that mean that it, it, it shipped with that as the default? Or were people actively going in and saying, hey, let me turn this on so I can let anyone see it. So there's a couple of ways this can ah, this can go. On, on my server, for example, right, the BMC port is actually a dedicated port. It's a separate physical port. So I would have to take it and plug it in so that it got a public IP, mm-hmm. or I would have to plug it in and open the port on the firewall to allow remote connectivity, right? That's a very intentional thing. Yeah, I would have to do that on purpose. Yeah. And I do know a lot of people that, oh, I want to remote manage my server, so I'm going to go ahead and open up that port and then just open it up to the world. Not a good idea. Which you should, in that case, just VPN. And- uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Now, so on my case, that that network adapter doesn't even have a default gateway on it. It can't, it can't get off of this local network, and the port is certainly not open on the firewall, right? You just VPN in, and there you go. However, a lot of people use Supermicro servers for firewalls. 
that you know you can install install PFSense on a super micro server and build a great firewall. Uh, they they actually do a really wonderful job with that. There are some super micro servers where the BMC actually leverages the same network jack as your LAN interface. So it may be a matter of people don't know they've opened that up, that they actually have turned on their WAN interface for their firewall and the BMC is attached to it. And that's what I'm assuming is happening here. They don't, ZDNet didn't give any real details as to what's causing that. That has to be my guess. I can't imagine that 47,000 people intentionally opened up the management ports on their firewall to allow people to come in or are just running these machines naked connected to the internet. I can't believe that. So I have to imagine systems where the BMC is leveraging the same NIC. And you'll see that with some of the hardware manufacturers out there where they kind of keep them together. Dell, HP, the big ones, they always keep them separate. Having a separate management board is always the best way to do that. Interesting. Well, that yeah, I guess that makes sense why people might have done that then inadvertently because certainly wouldn't uh, do that on purpose. So, All right, our next story here uh, has me scared. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually worried about this one. Uh, this is on thenextweb.com. Fraudsters deepfake CEO's voice to trick manager into transferring $243,000. So we've talked about in the past uh, deepfakes with video, and I think we showed, uh, I can't remember who the company was that was doing it, but uh, they, they were able to take the Mona Lisa and essentially animate uh, the video, uh, a video to show um, based on this one image, here's what this uh, this person would look like and, and show that the more photos you have of someone, so let's say you had the Queen of England, you've got millions and millions of photos of her, you could essentially deep fake her uh, saying anything. But now they're doing that with the voice as well, which, you know, I, I wonder how much of a voice print you have to have of someone to do that. But shoot, can you just call, can I call and get your voicemail and take take what you say there and now I have enough to uh, to make a fake phone call where you call someone else and ask for money? Well, it's even easier than that, right? Because who, who's getting targeted here? CEOs. Mm -hmm. CEOs for the biggest companies possible. Oh, yeah. Well, the largest companies possible are publicly traded, which means they have to do earnings calls every quarter. Those are ours. And they're public, Yeah. right? And the CEO might not speak for the whole thing. The CFO speaks for a lot of it, right? And the attorneys speak for some of it. But the CEOs always speak at least for a bit in an earnings call. And some CEOs are far more spoken. You know, they go to conferences, they give presentations, the voice is out there. Well, heck, you and me, Peter, mm -hmm. we do a <gasps> podcast. Oh my and God, 10 people listen to it, right? Yeah. But if one of those 10 people was malicious, they've got voice samples of us, I mean, hours and hours and hours. My of mom us would never do that. And pointless dialogue. And so, yeah, <laughs> so they can take that and feed it into a deep fake system that identifies, you know, creates an algorithm that's based around our voice that then allows someone else to speak. And then it basically does like auto-tune, you mm -hmm. know, if it's good enough for Master P or whoever sure. is doing uh, auto-tune these days. It's T-Pain more. T-Pain. Yeah, we'll That's, That's Sorry. Fine. Well, it was close. I knew there was letters and yeah. P was involved. Not R. Kelly. <laughs> ah, best joke of the day. All right. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. No, okay. Because there's, yeah. So, uh, so anyhow, T Pain, there we go. Uh, that basically auto tunes, but it auto tunes is your voice. So it sounds very similar. And uh, in this case, they were able to create a deep faked call to a, uh, a manager within a company and tricked that manager into transferring $243,000 to an account. They basically just, you know, they thought there was this immediate need. The CEO's voice, it sounded like the CEO on the phone, and so they pushed it across. And the only way they got caught was because after the transfer was done and the money was moved, they called back for more. And mm. it was the second phone call where the manager said, um, no, no. 
I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to need this in writing. And then that's when it turned out to be fraudulent and they recognized it. And they're insured, right? So they had cyber insurance that covers this kind of fraudulent activity. Or I think this one's actually covered under regular insurance. And uh, and at this point, you know, they're, they're not out anything. But it shows an all-new attack factor that if somebody calls you on the phone and talks, you can't just trust the sound of their voice anymore. All right, a couple of questions here. Well, first of all, um, something that I noticed in the article, uh, this already has a name. This is called Vishing short for voice phishing. So that's exciting. Uh, we can start uh, hearing about vishing attacks all the time. Um, but so my question here is, was this was this a like a voicemail or is this real time that they actually are able to to do something like this? Because I feel like with a deep fake video, you know, it's something that you're able to to work with and then record and, and post with this, uh, you know, to be able to answer questions and, and uh, kind of go on the fly with a phone call. Are, are they doing this kind of thing real time? I, I mean, I guess that technology probably uh, exists at this point. You know, I I assumed it was a voicemail, but now that you've said it, uh, I don't see any reason why they couldn't have done it in real time. Like once once they've got that voice print done, I mean, they sell the cheap little voice changers at the gas station that effectively do this kind of thing. So sure. they should be able to do it in real time. Huh. Well, that's great. <laughs> so I'm excited about this. Well, and and now we know why uh, where there's all these crazy requirements now, like why you should have uh, a two-key policy where in order to do a money transfer, you actually have to have two key personnel sign off on that and, and so on. you got to have standards, practices, procedures. In this case, the guy transferred $243,000 without anything in writing. And that's uh, that's a big problem right there. That, it's probably a company where that's small potatoes too, you know, cause, and that's who you'd go after is, is someone that that's not a, a big transaction for them. But uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think that $243,000 would be a lot of money to me at no matter what point I was at. I think so. But <laughs> I think the takeaway here is um, talk with your CEO and establish a safe word. Yes. And have that. You know, <laughs> you gotta have did a you safe say word. Palomino? I didn't hear you say and Palomino. Could you please keep talking for about 15 more minutes, please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I walk over to your office and see if you're on the phone. Um, well, that's fun. Uh, so look forward to this next election season now uh, where the robocalls will be deep fakes and uh, we'll have video clips of, of all the politicians saying whatever we want them to say. It's going to be great. It's going to be, be the best election exciting. ever. Thank you, Russia. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, we're, we're going back to ZDNet one last time. Go back to the well. Uh, it hasn't let us down yet. Um, so our last article from ZDNet, Twitter disables SMS to tweet feature after its CEO got hacked last week. Wah, wah. <laughs> Twitter disables one of the site's <laughs> earliest features in response to the CEO um, hack uh, last week, which is the same thing the main headline said, but the subheadline said it in a different way. Yeah, so I, I picked this one up off of a couple of different uh, news services, but I went with the ZDNet one because they combined the two articles. So, uh, I don't know, it was last year that CEO's, uh, CEO, that uh, Jack Dempsey of Twitter got Dorsey. hacked. And uh, Jack you know, Dorsey, Dorsey, not That's what this article says. I'm saying Dempsey. All right, wrong one. Dor- Dorsey. Either way, guy got hacked. <laughs> Who was Biz Stone? I remember Biz Stone. Who's an early Twitter guy? I don't know. That's, it's just such a cool name. It is. I'm sorry. Go on. It's, it's no uh, like Max Stryker. Ooh, wasn't that the Marine or whatever though? Is his real name? Probably. Anyhow. All right. So, uh, so anyhow, the CEO got hacked, and that was a big black eye. It was very embarrassing for them that it happened, and that's when they started rolling out things like two-factor authentication, and their tech support was doing a lot better job validating people before resetting passwords and so on. So to have the CEO's account get hacked again 
is another big embarrassment to them. Uh, this time it was done through the SMS to tweet feature, which if you're not familiar with, it allowed you to send a text message to Twitter and it would tweet out the contents for you. So if you didn't have the Twitter app on your phone, not a big deal. You could just type up a message, send it to the number, and all of a sudden it would appear in your Twitter feed. Very, very exciting. Well, there was a flaw in the SMS to Twitter process and attackers figured out a way to exploit that to gain control of an account. And they use that to gain control of the CEO's account. Once they had that, they then proceeded to embarrass Twitter. Twitter's immediate response was to simply disable that service. So if you weren't familiar with it, don't get familiar with it because it no longer works. And there's no word as of yet, or at least as of me reading this article, that uh, they're going to be reinstating it. So they might try and fix it. I can't imagine a lot of people actually use this because there's Twitter apps for everything these days. Yeah, If, if they do, I'm going to start a, a business where you can just text me and then I'll tweet it for you. Yeah, I'll be like Don said, it'll all come from my account. But now, you know, you could make it where you could post under their account, well, sure. and then it would seem like it was coming from them. I, I, are you doing a segue to our next <laughs> our next article? It's Which, an it's an implausible solution, yeah, right? Could Nobody that ever would do happen? That. This this next article this <laughs> this is probably the article that I've done the most research on uh, with with Technado, which is uh, pretty sad. But uh, I, I I don't know. This one just tickles. This me. is more than the bathwater one. Oh, yeah, I did a lot of research on that one too. <laughs> People drinking an Instagram starts bathwater. Um, uh, well, let's head over now to Hollywood.com. Not normally a site that we go to oh, tech for Technado News, Central, news but uh, Jeremy Renner shuts down his app after being targeted by trolls. All right, so a lot of questions right <laughs> off the bat from that headline. Uh, first of all, if you're not familiar with Jeremy Renner, uh, he's, I think he first came to fame with the Hurt Locker. Um, that was a big one there. Uh, he was in the Bourne movies, uh, and then uh, he's, he's Hawkeye as well, not from MASH. Um, but from uh, the more <laughs> from the Avengers, uh, Avengers uh, films, but uh, he created an app, an app all of his own. I where don't believe he created it. He, oh, that's true. <laughs> uh, he did work with uh, with a company called Escape X uh, to create an app where basically people could go in and they could purchase uh, stars, and then they could write messages to Jeremy. And the more stars you had the better chance Jeremy would actually read and possibly even respond to your message. So <laughs> that basically, he might read. <laughs> yeah, you were paying for the ability that maybe Jeremy would read your message. But that's all beside the point of this article. And I'm excited that there's there's one I can talk about here. Because, you know, we're <laughs> talking about BMC and NPM and, and Cali and, and whatnot. That, that's Don, but th this is me. Um, so... Uh, basically, uh, people, and I was going to say hackers, but it was a comedian originally because I, I found the Deadspin article that that, uh, that he wrote about his experience doing this, but uh, it was a comedian named Stephen Heck. Um, Stephen Heck is a stand-up comic, and, uh, and of course, he was a user on the Jeremy Renner app, and um, he found that anything uh, where someone commented back to your post uh, looked like in the notification that you got that 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 comment was coming directly from Jeremy Renner. So, because um, he posted something saying he was going to uh, watch pornographic movies this weekend and uh, had someone <laughs> respond, yuck, and it looked on his phone like, wait, Jeremy Renner just replied to my post? That's fantastic. Uh, but it wasn't Jeremy, so he found out that you could do that, and he posted about that. And then uh, by the end of that weekend, which was uh, last weekend, um, everybody was posting then as Jeremy Renner and people couldn't tell who was real and who was fake just like the uh, the Twitter situation we're talking about there so uh, all kinds of uh, great messages were coming up and uh, and you know 
people who have bought all these, what are they calling them? Bought stars, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, people who had bought the stars on this app, um, you know, weren't sure if that's Jeremy replying um, with, you know, probably racist tirades or if that's uh, another user. So I have been Googling feverishly here in the background, trying to find <laughs> at least one tweet that was suitable to, to mention no. on air, and I could not find one. <laughs> Which is why they have shut down the Jeremy Renner app. So and they've refunded the anyone who bought a star in the last ninety days. Just in the last ninety, 90 days. Yeah, yeah. Now, a because Jeremy could have already replied to you. A, a powerhouse like Jeremy Renner has probably been running this app for years, right? I mean, he's just been dominating sure. the Hollywood scene. Now, let me tell you my thought process because you sent this article over to me, and yeah. so I, I started reading it. My first thought was, "Who's Jeremy Renner?" So I had to look that up. Uh-huh. I'm like, "Okay, Hawkeye, like the lamest Avenger, the Avenger with no special powers, sure. uh, the Avenger that gets beat up and mind controlled." Um, that's that's Jeremy Renner. So mm-hmm. there we go. Uh, and then shuts down his app. He has an app. Why, why does Jeremy Renner have an app? <laughs> and then after being targeted by trolls, now that that was the part that made the most sense. <laughs> like, all right, a, an actor in Hollywood gets targeted by trolls. That's that's what they get paid for, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's every day, right? So yeah, you know, just allowing somebody to effectively tweet on your behalf is an absolute disaster, uh, unless it's somebody you trust, like Peter. Who will gladly do it for you uh, if you just text your tweet to him? Yeah, he will text post it to on me. Your I'm, I'm not going to give you my number though. We're, I got to figure out. I got to do like a Google Voice. Yeah, Google Voice. Yeah. If like people that. they need to tweet you, and it's got to be three tweets, right? First tweet is your username. Second tweet's your password. Third tweet is what there's, you want the tweet, the tweet to be. itself. Yeah, yeah. and yep. any photos or anything associated with it. Uh, just to <laughs> to let you know, um, uh, sorry to burst your bubble there, but Jeremy Renner's app only launched in July of 2019. Oh, so I mean, I'm I'm sure the first couple months were just building up that that powerhouse base of uh, of fans and users. Wait, so well, wait, July, August, September, days, right? I mean, that's it. They just he refunded all the days. everything. All the days have been refunded. Well, all right, let, let's be realistic here. Have you ever heard anybody say, "Man, that Jeremy Renner is amazing"? Uh, what a phenomenal actor. Probably Jeremy Renner. So how many people were buying stars? How many stars could he realistically sold to give people the chance that he might read them and possibly respond? Yeah, I'm not, I am not. I don't think that many. But I bet he refunded $8. I mean, in this screenshot here, <laughs> in this screenshot of, of an actual uh, Jeremy Renner post, you've got, you know, 407 uh, stars next to that person's name, oh, all right. 365 next to fan number two. Okay. Um, I mean, these are probably uh, accounts he set up. <laughs> um, but you know, Jer- uh, Jeremy Renner's also in a band. He's got a uh, band. He's doing that. the Bruce Willis thing and uh, and capitalizing on his fame with um, bad rock and roll music. There's a lot of actors in bands, right? Isn't it like yeah. Keanu Reeves in one? And the only one I feel like has has made it is uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin's in a band. Yeah, he's a bluegrass like he's a banjo wizard. Well, I, I know he, like he plays banjo, but is he in a band? He's in a band. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Steep Canyon Raiders. Pretend like you don't know. Uh, he's got the whole collection. Steve Martin <laughs> band name. This is what all of this technology comes together to help us figure out what Steve, Steve Canyon Martin. Rangers. I was close. That's what I say. Raiders. Yeah. Good times. But he's won some Emmys or Emmys, uh, Grammys. With that, I believe. So good well, for him. Good when for he gets the EGOT, then yeah, then we'll talk. He's got to be close. After <laughs> three amigos had to get the well, that's Oscar. True. He's got to be close. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's that close. Um, so anyway, if you had the Jeremy Renner app, uh, now's the time to go ahead and uh, and remove that because, uh, unfortunately, it will not be updated. And, and 
I don't care how many stars you have, Jeremy's not going to reply anymore because he, because he is not on it. So hopefully they can figure this out and uh, they can get this relaunched um, so we can have more comedy gold um, from Jeremy um, and his his fan base. But yeah, really sad to see. Um, all right, well, that's all the news we got uh, for today and we want to wrap things up, but uh, let's take a quick break. We will be back in just a moment to put a bow on this one. So we'll see you back here right after this on Technado. Are you a career changer or a budding tech pro who's looking to start their career in IT? I'm Wes Bryan, and along with my fellow IT Pro TV edutainer, Cherokee Boos, we've just shot a new show just for you. Each week, we'll dive into topics to help you launch your career in tech. Watch how to get started in IT on YouTube now. Just head to youtube.com forward slash IT Pro TV to watch and look for new episodes every Saturday at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. All right, welcome back to TechNado. I want to let you know about a couple things coming up here um, before we let you go. First of all, we have a, uh, a couple of webinars coming up. The next one is actually this week on Thursday, September 12th. It's MSPs and Ransomware, Protecting the Protectors. Don't be the cause of your customer's ransomware attack. Uh, and that is this Thursday, September 12th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And Don, that's you and, uh, and Wes, correct? Uh, well, actually, we're doing a, a bit of a last-minute change because we got a special guest to jump in with us, and uh, we we have somebody who's actually a uh, representative, or actually owns an MSP, who's going to jump in and talk about how ransomware has affected some of their clients and some of the things they're having to do to actually make sure they stay protected. So it'd be really cool to get some different insight on that. Nice. And and the scary thing is, I know we've had a couple articles recently where we talked about MSPs themselves getting attacked and those attacks actually coming down to their customers as well. And that's uh, that's not a good look if you're trying to uh, win business. Yep, unless you're just trying to test your insurance policy. Oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, all right, well, that one's, like I said, coming up on Thursday, September 12th. Uh, you can head over to itpro.tv slash webinars to sign up for that. Uh, also have a, uh, a full list of all of our past webinars there, so you can uh, check those out and actually see the recordings of them as well. Um, also, we have an offer from IT Pro TV. so if you're not familiar and you want to check it out, head over to go.it itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, there you can find a coupon code for 30% off of your uh, your membership, and that's for the lifetime of your membership, uh, as long as you keep it going. Uh, we also have a, uh, a form there where you can request a demo of our Teams features. So uh, if you have a team, you can find out some of the cool uh, functionality that's available to you. Uh, that's at go.itpro.tv slash technado. All right, well, I think we're going to be kind of getting back to normal now. As you can see, we've got the new um, you know, studio stuff all all working here. We're back to the regular cameras, not just your webcam. We're gonna get Justin in here next week. I think we have a uh, um, we have a guest. Um, so it, it's an exciting time to be a Technado fan. Yeah, and if you're one of our viewers, then uh, you probably noticed that things look the same. And and as far as everything in front of the camera, yeah, it is, is yeah, all the same. Except for those wipes. But on the, well, the wipes are cool. On the back end, though, it is an entirely new equipment, which is pretty impressive. And that means we got a lot of room to make mistakes. So bear with us as we get it cleaned up. But the team, the production team that's behind the scenes, has done such an amazing job uh, that I'm, I'm really impressed with how things have gone. Yeah, me too. It's all it's all coming together. All right, well, thank you so much, and we will see you guys next week right here on Technado. 